Late last year, Celestis Memorial Space Flights announced their next flight. Dubbed the Enterprise Mission, it will see the remains of several Star Trek luminaries journeying into the final frontier on the Vulcan Centaur rocket. Since the announcement, I've had the pleasure of interviewing friends and family members of the late great cast and crew who will be blasting off next month. Throughout the month of April, I'll be releasing those interviews. It's the dream of many a Star Trek fan to meet and befriend their heroes. Imagine grabbing a coffee with Kate Mulgrew, or a tea, Earl Grey hot, of course, with Patrick Stewart. As a fan of Dr. McCoy portrayer DeForest Kelly, Chris Smith was surprised when she got to meet him and became close to him and his wife Carolyn. She wrote a book about the experience, and now that his ashes are space-bound, she's here to talk about their friendship. I'm T. Rick Jones, and this is your Daily Star Trek News. You were a friend of uh, DeForest Kelly's, but you were a fan first. So uh, just tell me a little bit how you met him. Certainly. Um, yeah, I was a Star Trek fan. This carbon dates me way back, you know, when Star Trek was really on TV. And in its, what, third year in 1968, May 4th, 1968, I found out that he was going to be in a parade in Wenatchee, Washington, which is about 90 minutes away from where I was. And I was a brand new driver, scared to death to drive outside of my little, you know, 1200 person uh, town of Clay Alum and drive to Wenatchee. But I did because I thought, I want to meet him. I want to meet this guy really bad or see him go by. I didn't really expect to meet him. So I get in my car. I nervously drive over the pass to Wenatchee. I park in the first available parking place because I don't want to drive in a big city. I just park, you know, as soon as I can. I don't know where the parade is. I don't know anything. I just park. I'll figure <laughs> this out from here. Because you, so, you were young at the time. You you had just got driver's license, right? I was, yeah, I was 18. Yeah. I have, I mean, I'd had it, but I'd only been driving around in Clay Elm for sure, a couple right. of years. I hadn't gone anywhere, you know. <laughs> so um, I get to Wenatchee and I park. And as luck would have it, as I was walking along the sidewalk, I saw the limousine that was going to carry Dean and Carolyn. It said, Dr. McCoy, Star Trek. Da, 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 da. And I thought, you know, if I loiter shamelessly, <laughs> maybe I'll actually get to meet him and not just watch him go by. Yeah. But here was the here was my conundrum. I had also seen him as a in the in westerns as a cowboy as a as a heavy, uh -huh. and I wasn't sure who DeForest Kelly was. Was he, <laughs> you know, rowdy cowboy, you know, killer type, or was he Doctor McCoy type, or was he something else? You know, what he was an actor. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. So eventually, Dee and his wife, Carolyn, came out and got into the vehicle. And I held back because, again, I wanted to gauge this guy. I didn't know if I wanted to be disappointed by an actor that I really want to continue to keep on liking. OK, he was absolutely wonderful with everybody that approached the car. He was just so, so delightful. You know, he'd had a career before Star Trek, but this is his first chance to be a household name. You know, yeah. so he was just digging on his fans like crazy. And he did his entire life for as long as I knew him. Uh, anyhow, I walked up and I watched him and I finally gathered the courage to step forward and introduce myself and ask for his autograph. He was so delightful in the few moments that we spent together. Then on the way home, I was just immersed in this cocoon of, of affection for him. And I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a creative, uh, for my English class, I'm going to write a creative uh, essay on what it was like to meet DeForest Kelly. And I met, and I, I named it, how clever is this, The Real McCoy. <laughs> I, 
gave it to my teacher and he was so, he said, Chris, this is absolutely great. You should send a copy to Mr. Kelly. And I like recoil like crazy. I'm like, no, I don't write to TV stars. And he says, look, if you impress somebody as obviously as he impressed you, wouldn't you want to know? And I went, yeah, but he's an actor. He probably hears it 10 times a day. And he basically just pulled rank on me and said, send it. And I knew he could like, you know, grade me poorly for not following teacher's orders. So I sent it off, forgot all about it. Uh, uh, I figured what would happen is the secretary would read it. She'd go, very nice, throw it in the trash, and that would be the end of it, you know. So I really didn't expect much back. Well, as luck would have it, about a month and a half later, I get a letter in the mail from DeForest Kelly. And it said, we were so impressed by your article that we wanted, that we submitted it to um, New York Magazine, TV Star Parade. And they wanted to ho- uh, publish it as a special holiday issue. And I'm like, in a, in a special holiday issue. And it was like, holy cow, you know. My parents had to peel me off the ceiling because I had, I had wanted to be a writer my whole life, but I'm living out in the sticks. I don't know. I'd never submitted anything. I didn't think I was in quotes ready, you know, and then he did it and they didn't change a word. And it was like, wow, that was good enough for a New York publication. So I continued to write. Um, When the article came out six months later, I was afraid they were going to change things, but they didn't change anything. So that's what gave me a, my encouragement, really. Yeah. And um, when it finally came out six months later, I wrote the Kellys another note thanking them again for launching my writing career. And they wrote back to say, we are just so delighted. We hope this makes you a celebrity in your own right in Cleallum. Um and then I continued, I wanted to continue to write uh, to them. I had about 25 pen pals. I'm a writer. I love writing. Sure. Yeah. So I had about, and I was going to write again. And my mother says, Chris, the man has been very kind to you. Don't drive him crazy with your incessant letters. I figured she was right. And I just like, didn't write again. Yeah. Besides that, after this, we went building restaurants all over the country. And we really didn't have a, an address. We were living like turtles in a fifth wheel trailer so but however fast forward 18 years later the 20th anniversary of star trek comes up and d's going to be in spokane which is now across the state from me but it's like i owe this guy a long overdue thank you for launching my writing career because by now i'm i'm a published writer i mean i've been doing stuff you know and so i send him this cute little note saying i owe you a long overdue hug hope to see you in spokane and then my teenage years flooded back, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that was such a silly thing to say. How, what, how goofy was that? I almost talked myself out of going, but I had my little 10-year-old nephew along, and he was a Star Trek fan, and he's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So we went. We were staying in a KOA campground because they didn't have a lot of money for a hotel. And I went into the convention hotel early on and asked if they could give uh, – I brought the article along hoping maybe he would sign it if I could get a chance to meet him. And uh, I went up to the concierge and said, could you get a note to Mr. Kelly for me? No, no, we can't do that. My God, if we did that for all the Star Trek fans. And it was like, I get it. I get it. Went back to the, you know, KOA campground. As luck, unbeknownst to me, Dee and Carolyn are trying to find me. They're calling all these different hotels in 
Spokane trying to figure out where I am. I'm in the KOA campground. I'm not in a hotel. <laughs> so he spoke on the last day of the convention. I was sitting. At first, I was sitting in seats. And then as the same place started to fill up, I went down closer and sat in kind of in front of the stage. And Dee came out and he, he did his read his poems and then he opened it up to the ask questions, you know, so fans could ask questions. Uh-huh. And I kept wanting to raise my hand, but there were 3,000 people there, and I'm kind of shy, and I didn't really want to, like, draw attention myself necessarily. Sure. And uh, I saw him look at his watch, and I thought, uh-oh, he's looking to see how much more time he has on stage. If you don't do it now, you'll never do it. Raise your hand. And I raised my hand, and call it a miracle, because there were a 1,000 hands up, he, and he didn't recognize me. He looked at me and said, yes, you. And I said, I just wanted to thank you for launching my writing career. And he goes, are you Chris? And I went, yes. And he goes, oh, my gosh, well, let me tell you about this girl. And he starts to, like, introduce me. And this Phil Donahue type comes up with a microphone and sticks it in front of my face. And I'm speechless. I can't even believe this is happening. And here he wants me to say something, you know. And I kind of looked up at Dean and I said, may I give you a hug? And he said, absolutely, get up here, you know. So I went up there for a hug and I, you know, patted him on the I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. He said, don't lose touch. And I said, I won't, you know, jump back down. Well, my nephew was along with me, as I said, and he wanted to meet D2. And I said, well, let's see if we can get around backstage and, and meet them. So we were able to do that and get a picture together with him at that time. That's the beginning of a very long 30-year story. I mean, I wrote a book about it. If people want to know more about it, it's called The Forest Kelly Up Close and Personal. Anyhow, it's it's at Amazon. It's at Amazon. Um, they kept encouraging me as a writer just all along the years, all along. And then in 1989, they started to encourage me to, to move to Hollywood. Wow. Sending me all these articles about, I was an executive secretary by this time, all of these articles on, you know, what secretaries were getting made. Come on down here, get down here. Yeah. I had an African serval cat, which is a wild, knee-high type wild cat from Africa, although he didn't know he was a cat, let alone a wild cat. <laughs> um, so I had to, you know, go through all the trouble of, of getting permits and stuff for him, too, to come yeah. in. Carolyn was in love with Deacon, my cat. He, she just, oh, she, she sent him a travel bag so he could move to California. I mean, it was just all this. Th- there was this, after I met them in Spokane, they said, don't lose touch. Here's our address. You know, send us all your articles. We want to we wanna stay in touch. So at that point, I became a pen pal, like mom told me not to do. Then they encouraged me to move to Hollywood. And I did. And Dee helped me get my foot in the door in Hollywood. And I mean, it, it just goes on and on. At the end of his life, I ended up being his personal assistant and caregiver oh, wow. the last few months of his life. So yeah. the reason I wrote my book is because Dee gave me permission to write his biography, but I am an anecdotal writer. I'm a storyteller. Sure. I'm not a researcher or an interviewer like you guys are. Okay. That's not my, that's not my passion. So I gave the biography to Terry Rio, who wrote a wonderful book called From Sawdust to Stardust, which you may have read. She came to me and she said, how did you go from becoming a fan on the outermost reaches of fandom to being at his bedside when he passed away? And the question threw me for a loop. I said, I have no idea. That's something you would have had to ask Dee. And she goes, 
no, you know the answer. You just have to connect the dots. And because I'm a journalist, I went and backed into all of my journals and went, oh, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And I connected the dots. The reason I wrote the book is because I couldn't answer a question. <laughs> and I thought, I have to answer that question for myself, let alone for anybody else. And during this journey in the book, people are a actually able to feel like they are meeting D and interacting with D. The reason I wrote the book is I wanted, at, after D passed away, I heard so many people say, he seemed to be a nice man. And I went, he didn't just seem to be a nice man. He was genuinely the full meal deal. He was soul of the earth. He was perfect, you know, for a, for, and uh, so I thought, well, if I tell my story, people can follow along and fall in love, in quotes, fall in love with him in the way that I did, although he was more a father figure than a romantic figure, sure. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it worked, it worked, because the people who have read it have said, oh my gosh, now I feel like I know him, people who read the book who didn't know anything about DeForest Kelly, but who just wanted to support my writing career said I fell in love with him. I cried when he died in the book, you know, and it's like, that's what I wanted. I wanted people in the future, people young. Most of the people who come to me now are 14, 16, 18 years old. They weren't even here when Dee was on the planet. Yeah. So they get an opportunity to meet him. You mentioned his Westerns. And mm -hmm. um, uh, actually one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, uh, he was, before Star Trek, he was known as a villain in Westerns. I mean, he was, and in fact, right before he died, he received a Golden Boot Award for his yes, work. Yes, he did. You know, I remember the first time I saw him in something that wasn't Star Trek, it was Gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh-huh. I, I was like, oh, he acted in other things. I just didn't know, you know, as a kid. Um, so, it, you know, and he was wonderful in all of those roles. Um, did he ever talk to you about his career in Westerns? He all? mostly talks about his career in Westerns. I think he was a cowboy at heart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never tried to like pry into it. I basically, when I'm with somebody, I usually wait for them to tell me what they want to tell me. I don't ask them. I mean, now I wish I had asked a few questions. Sure. But generally, he would just open up and say, oh, my gosh, when I was when I was doing Apache Uprising, this happened, whatever, whatever. And on even on stage when he was doing Star Trek conventions, he usually talked about his Westerns because a lot of funny things happened during his Western career, sure. you know. Um, but mostly, I think he was a cowboy at heart. Yeah. yeah. Star Trek is basically a space Western. That, it, that is. What was conceived. it is. Um, so it makes sense that he came in. But he, but Gene Roddenberry always wanted him to play the Doctor on Star Trek, always from the very beginning. Actually, Gene Roddenberry gave him his pick of the three roles, and he, oh, picked, he did. I don't know. He picked Doctor McCoy because he said, "I sensed that there would be some humor there." Yeah, yeah, and um, he was right, and he played it beautifully. I thought. Yes, I, I yeah. love Doctor McCoy for that. Every um, single time he got on, came on the screen, you said something's going to happen. Something is going to happen. I don't know what. Yeah. Um, so he, but he resisted being typecast, and is that part of why he he took took a role on the role on Star Trek as a good guy? Because you know you would think he had this reputation as as a heavy in you know the films. the studio at first so they couldn't see him as a good guy. They told Gene Roddenberry no, which is why he wasn't in the first pilot. Yeah, um, they said no, no, nobody will ever accept him as a good guy. And then Gene Roddenberry showed the 
studio executives uh, another pilot that Dee had done called Police Story, not the one that got on TV. And they said, oh, well, maybe people will accept him as a good guy. Uh, he was terribly typecast before Star Trek. And then after Star Trek, he hardly ever got uh, offered Westerns again. But when he did, he was contractually uh, tied to Star Trek and couldn't get away. He was offered, he they wanted him in Lonesome Dove and they wanted him in the Missouri Breaks, I think was the other one. Oh, two okay. westerns and he was contractually during the same time yeah. um tied to star trek so he never did do he did one pilot for warner brothers in 72 that was supposed to be the pilot um that carried on from john wayne's the cowboys movie oh okay cool he played a heavy in that um the pilot was called dave done it warner brothers has lost it i have tried and tried to get a copy of it because yeah. i have most of his stuff Sure. My archives, most of his appearances, um, they have lost it. I, I don't have any idea, but I have a picture from it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. And he signed it a lot of time. This is the real McCoy. <laughs> 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 you know, he used to sign a lot of his fans became doctors later on as a result of his. And whenever a doctor would ask him to sign a photo to him, he would sign to Dr. Whoever, yeah. the real McCoy, R-E-A-L McCoy, from the R-E-E-L McCoy. <laughs> and boy, doctors love that. They put those on their walls like crazy. Yeah. He was very proud of um, of his association with doctors and how he, he inspired people to become doctors. He considered that his chief legacy. He said, one pin... Uh, I think Jan Dan Madsen one time asked him how he would like to be remembered. He was such a humble guy. He says, well, sometimes, you know, my 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 question is, will they remember? <laughs> I don't think he has any had any idea that we would be talking about him a quarter of a century later. I think he just was glad to be along with the party, uh, you know, along for the ride. And I just think he would be blown away by the continuing uh, interest in and love for him that, you know, kids, again, as I said, who would get, weren't even alive, just falling head over heels for him. Yeah. Because he was yeah. such a gentleman. They can catch him on YouTube and interviews and stuff like that and get to know a little bit yeah. more about DeForest Kelly. But Dee in interviews was a little more reserved than he was in real time. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a particularly comfortable interviewee. Uh-huh. Um, he was kind of shy in real life. Sometimes you had to lean forward to hear him. He was just so not actory. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, I got to tell you one more cowboy story yeah. if you want to hear a cowboy story. Yeah. His friends from way back from the time he was 18, um, of course, followed his career. But one of the gals at one time said to him, oh, I could never watch you in a Western. And he said, why not? He said, because I could never believe you as a bad guy. I just I, it, I couldn't get there. At which time, don't ever tell an actor he can't do something. At which time he turned into one of his bad guys and like confronted her. It scared her so bad she started to cry. <laughs> and then he started to cry. I didn't mean to scare you. I just wanted to show you I could do it. You know? <laughs> I believe you. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, now when, uh, when Star Trek five happened, I don't think I realized they were, there was a, uh, pay dispute and yes. they, they weren't, uh, going to hire him because they didn't want to pay 
what he wanted to pay. And I'm sure he got. I'm sure there were lots of letters. But you sent one. Do you have? Do you have that poem to hand? Would you read it? When it seemed possible that Star Trek Five might proceed without D due to a salary dispute, I wrote the following poem to try to convince the studios that the picture couldn't fly without him. And it was. It was. Uh, to the attention of Frank Mancuso, William Shatner, Harv Bennett, and whoever else it may be concerned. <laughs> Star Trek V, dead or alive. You waited a whole year so Spock could appear. You didn't use another actor. It'd have killed the success factor. And we know you wouldn't swap Kirks. We don't believe we're addressing jerks. So what makes you think you can do without Kelly? What are you using for brains, sand or jelly? You want our support and hard-earned money? You better be bringing us D then, honey. You'll ruin our joy in the bottom line if you don't wake up and pay him to sign. No one wants Star Trek to die. We all want to help it fly. But we have this god-awful premonition without DeForest Kelly who will pay the admission. This is not an idle threat. If Kelly's out, you can take bets. The show will fold, and the only long lines will be irate former fans carrying signs. <laughs> Mrs. Kelly dropped me a note. After Richard called and read us your poem to the studio, very clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they did. R Richard then called and said, "Oh no, he's signed. We've accepted. We've accepted." So that's good. They, they would be crazy not to. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. They were thinking of Hal Holbrook, and I like Hal Holbrook, but no, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. It had to be me. And then they went went on to Star Trek VI, and you actually got to visit that set, right? I did. Yes. For yeah, they said don't stay. They said don't stay more than forty minutes, and I'm like, okay. Well, he didn't show up for more than forty minutes, and I thought I'm going to hang here at least till I can see D. <laughs> and I did. We did, and D came on to the set. I had never seen him as Doctor McCoy, you know, in makeup, and he was wearing a deer skin for that scene in Rural Penty. Sure. He wears this deer skin, and of course, by now they've met Deacon, my serval, my I call him my serval son, my kitty, my wildcat from Africa. They're in love with him. He comes over draped in a in a deer skin, and I said, "Uncle D, you know what Deacon's going to say about you wearing furs?" And he goes, "Don't tell him. It's what they gave me in wardrobe." I said, "I won't tell. I won't tell." <laughs> and pretty soon they got called off. Um, away and so i thought okay we've met him we've said hello let's get out of here we've been we've way overstayed our you know our allotted time yeah. and i got home and the phone rang and he picked up the phone and says where did you go the next scene was mine <laughs> and i said we didn't know that we didn't know that so he he passed away in 1999 let's talk about a little bit about the celestis launch who did they contact about including d in in this flight was it you they didn't know they didn't know that D was even an option because he had passed away so many years before. I don't even know if Celestis was a thing back when D passed away. Yeah. So they had no idea they would ever get DeForest Kelly's DNA on the launch. Yeah. But I was, uh, I interviewed for my podcast ever new Mark B. Lee, who is an ambassador for Celestis. Sure. And uh, he mentioned this and I said, I want to talk to you after this podcast is over. I have a question. So we, after the podcast, I said, do you think they could use a lock of D's hair and get DNA from that? And he said, why? And I said, because I have a lock of D's hair. And he goes, you're kidding me. I said, no, I have a lock of D's hair. And uh, he said, let me check. You know, within three hours, like, oh, heck yes. Yes, we can. Please send it to the lab. So um, 
that's how it happened. They they realized, oh my gosh, we can get Dr. McCoy on the flight too, which they thought would be would never happen. I mean, it couldn't happen. He was cremated. How do you do that? Right. Sure. Uh, how do you think D would feel about about being launched into space? Um, when D was asked years and years ago if he would go into space, he said in a heartbeat. I don't know if Carolyn would have allowed him, but he want, he wanted to go. <laughs> yes. Uh, in a heartbeat. So, yes, I, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think he wanted to do it. Plus the idea that he's going up with his castmates, all of whom he loved. You know, I think I think he'd be real. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it would be a plus for him. They give me two minutes. And so I pre-recorded a two minute thing that they will show at the uh, during the memorial service. Oh, that's great. If you go to Celestis.com right now and click on the Enterprise flight and, and on the participants, yeah. you can find DeForest Kelly. Yeah. And there is a five-minute thing that I pre-recorded earlier that you can see now. But oh. then they said that was too long. They wanted something two minutes. So I said, okay, I'll I'll do other other anecdotes yeah. for the two minutes. And so it'll be what you see on the Celestis page now will not be what you see or what you hear the day of the memorial service. Oh, okay. Interesting. If there were one word or phrase you could use that would fit DeForest Kelly's legacy, what would that be? I think I already came up with it for Celestis. Yeah. Loving you is easier than anything we will ever do again. Because beyond what he did, the neat thing about meeting him was I got over seeing him as an actor and just seeing him as a human being, a relational human being. And I thought his legacy is who he was more than what he did. Yeah. Sure. Um, so... Yeah, I think just the fact that he exuded when you were in his presence, didn't matter who you were, you felt beloved. That's and that's that's not frequent with a lot of people. Plug your book for me. I'm gonna put uh oh, Amazon called, in the show notes. Um, it's called DeForest Kelly, Up Close and Personal. Great. Harvest of Memories from the Fan Who Knew Him Best. You can either go there and look it up by the title. Or you can look up Chris M. Smith, Chris with a K, because I've written, I've written, uh, I've also written, after I wrote this book, all of the people who read it said, oh my gosh, I want to know every interaction you ever had with him. I mean, because I had to, you know, 30 years in yeah. 200 pages. So what I did is I went into my phone logs, because every time we would call, I would write down notes about what we talked about. So I actually have a six volume set called Kelly phone tag, like telephone tag, <laughs> telephone tag with everything that's not in the book. And then I have another book there at Amazon called The Enduring Legacy of, of DeForest Kelly, Actor, Healer, Friend. And that, those are the reminiscences of other fans who I knew. I asked them to write their reminiscences. And then I, I just like wrote the chapter beginnings, you know, the intros to each chapter, Actor, Healer, and Friend and edited edited their stories yeah that's um, really awesome. the enterprise mission is scheduled to blast off on may 4 2023 and you'll be able to stream it live launch dates and times can change up to the last minute based on a number of variables including weather conditions so for the latest launch status head over to www.celestis.com slash launch dash schedule slash enterprise dash flight. Also, Chris is selling many pieces of her DeForest Kelly collection, including signed photos, clothing, and vintage action figures on eBay. I'll have links to the auction and the Celestis information in the show notes. Tune in Wednesday when I talk with James Dewin's widow.